Well, good morning. It is a delight to see you here, and just let me express on behalf of the community um, my greetings as well to each of you, and we're so glad you're part of this community of faith and learning. As uh, Reverend Lagone already said, this is a real sacred space for us, and it's a, a time you'll remember your first time in this chapel, so we're really happy that you're here. We're also... Um, my wife is here, Julie, and we're just so happy that we will we'd like to invite all of you to eat at our home tonight. How about that? So uh, 5.30 this evening, you're all welcome to come down to what we call Rose Hill, the presidential home, and we will have uh, Sunny's Barbecue and a great time of fellowship tonight, okay? Amen? I, I was really struck by the brother who said that uh, he was struck by that he got here, and he realized he's seven hours from his family, seven hours from his friends. Let me just tell you, Wilmore is seven hours from everything. <laughs> Okay. Let's just put it out there, okay? Uh, that's a common experience that we all have. But, you know, this is the, uh, you know, Central Kentucky is the center of three big industries, tobacco, the bourbon trail, alcohol, and the horse industry, smoking, drinking, and gambling. And so it was really important, the Lord felt, I think, to put a holiness school in the middle of that, <laughs> kind of balance the whole thing out. So... For whatever reason, uh, we're, we're here. Anyway, thank please God for this time. Have you ever uh, read something where the minute you read it, you knew you would never forget it? Now, there's a lot of things in the other category, things that you have read and forgotten, but there are times where you read something and you realize you'll never forget it. I had the experience 36 years ago. When I picked up a... Uh, Christian Today journal article, uh, and I read it, and there was something in the letter to an editor I have never forgotten. The uh, letter to the editor was actually a complaint about a previous article the previous month, which I don't, I don't recall the article specifically, but apparently uh, somebody had written an article, and it was talking about some of the latest, quote, findings of liberal scholarship, and they were casting doubts on the authority of the Bible, and on the, uh, the unique work of Jesus Christ. And this person was writing in response to that in the editorial section, and he uh, was clearly upset, of course, with these so-called findings, and he wrote in the letter that he was just a simple believer. He's, I don't know any Greek or Hebrew or any of that kind of stuff, but I know these scholars are dead wrong. And it was then that he made his statement, I've, I've never forgotten he said, I'm probably just a simple-minded fool, but I would rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. That was his statement. I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. Now, I think we can appreciate uh, his angst, but it's a tough choice, isn't it? Is there something better for us? His assumption, I think, reveals a, a statement or a, a thought that's all too often made in Christian circles. That is that the idea that devotion to God, if you're really devoted to God, it will lead to a warm heart and an empty head. Or somehow we're to like, check our brain at the door if you really want to experience God in His fullness. Or you maybe you've already heard the joke about, you know, are you going to cemetery? I mean, seminary? The cemetery is a place of death rather than a place of life. The whole tension between the head and the heart, between the desk and the altar, all of that 
you'll say, well, better to be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. And we forget that perhaps God has called us to something greater. So brothers and sisters, or perhaps I should say this year, sisters and brothers, because we have our largest incoming class of women students in our history. So sisters and brothers, welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary. Welcome to this place where scholarship is on fire. Amen. Welcome to Asbury Seminary where the life of the mind enlarges the heart and the devotion of the heart captures the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. This is Asbury Seminary. For us, the the phrase where the heart and head go hand in hand is not just a slogan, it's part of who we are. It's Wesley's vision that we would unite our heart, our heads, our feet together in a great nuptial embrace. This is the vision of Asbury Seminary. We now, this is our 94th year, we always call this the Asbury Experience. It's something you just find here in a very amazing way. And so someday, if you earn a privilege of having a degree from Asbury Seminary, and let me assure you, people do occasionally graduate from this place. It does happen. Every year they march across the stage, they get degrees. If you someday graduate with a degree from Asbury Seminary, you will be a thoughtful, reflective Christian with a heart on fire for Jesus Christ. That's our goal. We, we will accept nothing less. That's why when you walk into our halls, you see the, the almost chilling mission statement about you, that we're here to not only theologically educate you, of course, but to, that you would be sent out as a spirit-filled, sanctified men and women, men and women in the, out in the world. That's sobering. That's sobering. This is our calling. And so you're not being called here to check your brain at the door. You've not been called to give up your devotion to Jesus Christ, your desire to spread the good news, to spread scriptural holiness. You're not being called to even to keep the two in balance. It's not about balance. It's about a marriage. It's about a nuptial embrace. It's about a complete understanding of how the two completely work together. Our text this morning uh, comes from 1 Peter 3, as you heard beautifully read, In this text, of course, from Peter, if there ever was a man who struggled with his head and his heart, it was Peter. This was the hot-blooded fisherman who suddenly found himself brought into this ministry unto Christ. He's the one that said, you know, Lord, you know, others will deny you, but not me. This is the one who said, you know, if you wash my feet, wash my head as well. Okay, he led with his heart. And yet it's in this text that he also learned to bring his mind to Christ. And his brilliant mind in this passage, and in this whole, these, these epistles, we understand the integration of heart and mind in Peter, in fact, in ways we don't in other places. I want you to see three things he does in this text. He opens it by saying in verse 15, in your hearts set apart or sanctify Christ as Lord. The sanctified heart. Now, Peter is telling something about what happens to your heart when it's been consecrated and set apart wholly for the service of Christ. 
There's only one verse in the Bible that's found in all three strands of the Bible, the, the, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. It's in, found in Deuteronomy 4, Proverbs 8, and Jeremiah 29. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. The, the Bible also tells us, it says in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth and may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. In that great prayer from David where he says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may proclaim your praise. You see, God is calling something here, not just for your brain, but something to happen to your heart. What, what he calls here in this text, the sanctified heart, the set-apart heart. Hagiasate is the word that for holiness, sanctification. These are important words in our tradition. That's to happen in your hearts. For Peter, this is not something in... And it should be viewed in emotional terms, you know, like how he feels about God in any particular moment. This is not about that. This is about actually something about what happens in what you do with your life. That shows the direction of your heart. For, for, for Peter, uh, this is an active verb. Faith is, a, is an active verb. It's something you do, not something you have. Not something you just put on the wall and say, we believe that. It's something that activates your life. It's faith that caused Abraham to leave his land, leave his family, leave his father's house, and go to the place God called him. The very fact that you moved here, you came here, you're living here, is an act of faith in itself that says something about your heart and what God's calling in your heart. Faith was in the fingers of those men who carried uh, their, their loved one to, to Christ, and they clawed their way through the the tiles and the mud to let their friend, their paralytic friend, down into the presence of Christ. It was faith in their fingers, wasn't it? It was faith that caused Rahab to cover up the spies under the flax on her roof. This is faith at work. And this is the kind of faith that, that we find Peter talking about. The faith, in fact, later actually talks about this earlier, about we've been called to a living hope. So he, he ties hope and faith into the resurrection of Christ. Is tied into his decisive action, and therefore we become part of that decisive action in the world. So he calls us first to the sanctified heart. It means a heart set apart for single-minded action. Well, secondly, he calls us to the solidified mind. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Now, this is translated, you know, to give an answer, to give a defense, but it's the word uh, apologion. It's where we get our word apologetics from. Be prepared to give an answer. This world is looking for an answer. He earlier in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13 declares, he says, prepare your minds for action. That's part of what this time is here, preparing your minds to think properly. It's not simply a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your mind being prepared to learn to think properly about theology, church history, about the culture that we live in. We have a really big task ahead of us. Peter, of course, knows all about this. He was caught uh, one night where he uh, was caught in the presence of some people, and there he was. They asked him about his faith, and he denied Christ three times. He never forgot that. He's forgiven for it, but he didn't forget about it. And he said, don't be caught like that. 
where the world asks you to give a reason for the hope and you're left flat-footed. We inhabit a, a world of a post-Christian culture. We inhabit a world that is not like our grandparents' world. And we can't go into a world pretending it's other than what it is. And we have to face the actual culture, the actual world, the actual array of forces of, around us that we face. And be prepared for that world. That's the world that we face. Uh, we believe that God has revealed himself in history. We believe God has revealed himself in the incarnation. And we believe that God has revealed himself in his word. And we live in a culture that finds all of that incomprehensible. And yet if you were to go across this country, as some of you apparently have, and you were to stop you know, every Sunday and you were to be able to just kind of inhabit the country on a typical Sunday morning, and you were to hear hundreds of sermons preached across this country in churches. I don't care what the denomination, what the background. Just listen to sermons all across this nation. What would you hear? You'd hear sermons that are, well, first of all, that would require quite a bit of goodwill on behalf of those who sit and listen to them. There'd be some that would bore you to death. But even the better ones, you're going to have sermons that assume faith, that sermons that uh, often will not answer questions, many unanswered questions, and very unlikely actually prepare people to face what they actually will face that week and that period of their lives you will hear an extraordinary amount of bland moralizing. You'll have huge doses of cute stories, and you may pick up a few funny jokes, and you'll definitely meet a lot of nice people. But I want to say, none of that is going to cut it. This generation will not be changed by that. We have to just draw the line on all of that. What you'll rarely hear, almost exceptionally hear, would be a clear, well-thought-out exposition of the Word of God that is then applied in real powerful ways to the lives of those who are there. And that's what you've got to be prepared to do. We can't simply be against stuff anymore. We've got to understand what we're for. What is the vision we're casting? What's it mean to be a sanctified Christian who loves God's Word and thinks about it in the culture that we live today? So Asbury Seminary will equip you to give an informed response to a relativistic, pluralistic world. And the purpose of Asbury Seminary is to prepare you. We'll demand hard work of you. You're embarking on a spiritual, intellectual, formational voyage. It will not be a cruise ship. It's going to be a battleship. <laughs> Your life will be in danger. It's going to be challenging. You know, if you're here, if you think that you come here, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a career as a, as a pastor or whatever, missionary or counselor or whatever. I'm going to climb the national ladder. I'm going to go out from this place and I'm going to think about my salary, my pension plan, my parsonage. All of that, you've got to flush it down the toilet. That's probably not the best way to say it, but you know what I mean. Just <laughs> get it behind you. This is about not... Becoming, this is not about a career, about a calling. Responding to God's call and realizing this is going to cost you your all. 
This is the place where you will claw your way through a Greek New Testament and you'll somehow or another, in the middle of that, you'll see the face of God. This is the time when some late one night you'll be talking to your one of your you know, batchmates or one of your uh, mates in your dorm and, or whatever and you discuss some theological problem and you'll have insights and thoughts that you never dreamed possible. And it happened because of this environment. We're in this together. We're going through this voyage together. It's a place of ardor, a place where you'll preach one of your first sermons, perhaps, and you'll find yourself actually realizing the power of being in collaboration with God as he reconciles the world to himself. Wow. That's what happens. The world's we're co-laborers with God in the redemption of the world. That's a calling from God. And finally, not only do we have this sanctified heart, this solidified mind, but also the sensitized witness. That's what he says in light of today. Think of this. All this, you know, be ready, sanctify your heart, be ready to give an answer, but do this with gentleness and respect. Wow, the need for civility, the need for an ironic spirit, knowing how to address the world in a way that even though they think everything we believe, everything we embody is crazy, we love them. We love lost people. We love sinners. We don't hate sinners. We love them. Praise the Lord. We love them. That's why we're here. That we're, I think we're the only industry in the world that we are here because of people who don't know anything about who we are or what we're doing. We're here for people who don't even know the gospel. They'll hear it through your appeal, your heartfelt appeal unto the gospel. This is the mystery that we're involved in. This is what Paul calls us to. We're not here in kind of a business-as-usual approach. We're in a day of, of caustic intercourse in our, in our society, a day of fracturing relationships, rise of, of, of huge new revealed realities and pain of, of, of racism and brokenness in our society and our families, all of this. In the midst of that, for you to come with a word of grace, a word of of love and a powerful spirit that seeks to draw people into the amazing work of the kingdom is a great gift of God. We now occupy the rugged frontiers of a post-Christian culture, not the comfortable couches of a civil religion. We're in a different world, and we must embrace that. These are days of perpetual from Carthage, who although nursing a child, was still willing to face the lions in the arena rather than to bow down to the idols of her world. We need a lot of more perpetuas in our day. We also know we're in the days of Athanasius, who became bishop, the great Alexandrian bishop, but saw the whole church just about going over to Arianism. You don't know yet know what Arianism is, but you will. <laughs> Trust me, it was bad. The whole church going over to Arianism. And he had to stand up. And he eventually got a, a title for this, you know, Athanasius Contramundum, Athanasius against the world. He had to speak against the whole church and say, you're wrong. Some of you will have to have a prophetic ministry, even against the church. The church also forgets the gospel. It has to be called back to it. 
These days of Augustine, who lived at a time of cultural collapse, the, the days when an empire were over with, he's seeing the collapse of the empire, the invasions, the barbarian invasions. He sees all of that. And he realizes that something has to be done, and he writes that amazing book, The City of God. They are books that you will write that no one can write but you. And you can't write them until you learn what you have to learn here to do it. There's things that only you can address to your generation. And you're here to do that. We need Augustines here. We need Martin Luthers. Think about the days of Martin Luther. We're celebrating the 500th anniversary this year. Our convocation is on Tuesday when we will uh, kick off the new year with this theme as well. But these are the days when Luther saw the church had lost its way. And he had to wade out into the stream and say, here I stand. And we're here today because of that courage. We need people, men and women, of courage who are willing to face the church and the culture with courage. These days of Wesley, who preached himself out of every pulpit in England. That is, by the way, the context of him saying, I, I've determined that the world is my parish. It was because he had no pulpit to preach in. Preached on, in tombst on tombstones, preached out in brickyards. At dusk, he was preaching in the coal mines. He said, because I have a mission. God's called me to this. We need those kind of great preachers that arise up in our day. And so, welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary, where your heart and your head go hand in hand. Welcome to Asbury Seminary, where you've been called to be theologically educated and spirit-filled and sanctified. Welcome to Asbury Seminary, where you're called to be more than a fool on fire. You've been called to be scholars and learners that are on fire for Jesus, passionate, committed, devoted, and yet also sharp and thinking and thoughtful and reflective. All of this must come together. So welcome to Asbury Seminary where you will live in these sacred spaces, but someday be called to go out into the world and give them heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace of these days and years which lie ahead and pray that you would now enable us as we come to the cross in a moment to come to the cross and realize that we can do none of these things without the amazing work and the intervention of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.